As we begin this morning, I want to remind you, as I do every Sunday morning, that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or the ministries of a local church, you may make all donations payable to Henry's Chapel and send them to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350. Now let us open with a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, come and speak to me. Speak through me, speak in spite of me. Allow your words to be heard by your people. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning's text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, 21st verse, verse or 21st chapter rather, verses 23 through 27. And while you're turning there, um, I just want you to stop and take a moment to think about, uh, have you ever had to make a, a, a tough decision, a tough truth, admit something to yourself or to others that may be detrimental to you, to your ego, or even to your status? And if that's ever been the case for you, how do you react when it comes to these moments of being honest, of sharing tough truths, of things that may affect you negatively, but you need to, that are true? And with that in mind, I think we, we can enter into these verses and we can even think about our current status in our world, that there's so much going on that what we are trying to, the many people are trying to do, and we all find ourselves falling into this trap one way or the other, is to keep what we have, no matter who else it affects. And what we're going to hear this morning is what can happen when we're so worried about self that we're not focusing on the greater. And with that in mind, let us hear these words from Matthew, the 21st chapter, verses 23 through 27, where we hear this. When he entered the temple, he being Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you a question. You tell me the answer, I'll tell you the answer to by what authority I do these things. And Jesus asked, Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. They, would th they were saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So the first thing, the first question that rises to my mind as I look at this text is that question of what are these things? And, and, and to take a step back, we realize that Jesus has entered into the temple. He's cleansed the temple. He's turning over tables of the money changers. He's healing the blind and the lame. Children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And the chief priests and local experts were angered by all of this because they're saying things like, do you hear what these children are saying? They're angered and, they're, and they start to ask, who does he think that he is? 
What gives him the right to do these things? By whose authority? And we'll, we'll look later at the why they become angry at Jesus doing things that, as we look at them, seem to be good. But, but the question still arises, by whose authority? Which does imply that they understand that Jesus has some authority, at least. Um, the question has been asked over and over in the gospel that they don't question what he is doing. They question the how are you doing it. They're not questioning what's going on. They're saying, how is this possible? And see, their own authority, which is centered on the temple, is clear. They are, the people asking this, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they are the social and economic and political and religious elite. And they are allied with Rome. They are made legitimate by their connection to the government and to Rome. And so their authority consists of social status and power over others and is based on their birth in the case of the chief priest, on their training in, case, in the cases of the scribes, on their wealth in the cases of the elders, and their political alliances. And their question ultimately is, they want to know what make, gives Jesus this legitimation? What, what makes Jesus legit in what he is doing? And, and I can't help but wrap my mind around this idea that in our own current culture and climate, that those that are in the majority, those that have the authority and the power that is, that is central but via being the 1%, or via their education, or via their social status, whatever, find themselves looking down upon those people that are in the minority, for whatever the reason may be, and saying, who, are, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? What gives you the authority to do anything, to try to, to come up to where we are? Because you see, what they're getting at is Jesus, has, his actions have challenged the political and the religious elite. Imagine that. A, a man of, of non-noble birth, a man that was, that was born in a manger, a man that for all purposes is homeless, is coming in and he's doing actions of love and mercy and grace. And they are challenging the political and religious elite because what they are challenging is that these people, the scribes and the, and the chief priests and the elders, those are the people that have been the ones that, are, that, that hold that power and therefore dictate everything that is done. And Jesus says, as he says so often in the Gospels, you have heard it done or said this way, but I say to you. And so the question that is ultimately being asked is a trap. Because if Jesus claims his own authority, he admits to having no institutional or cultural legitimation. And he appears to have acted against God's purpose and certainly against their purpose. If Jesus says, it's all, I, I do this because I have, give myself the own, my own authority, then what he is saying is, not, is what you say doesn't matter, what the culture says doesn't matter, 
what the institutions say doesn't matter, but it appears to others because they still haven't wrapped their mind around the fact that Jesus and God are one, that he is also acting out of God's will. Um, he's, he's acting on his own accord. But if he claims God's authority, according to the culture, he blasphemes and violates their control. The central issue is not of his identity, but whether or not those in power will recognize this identity. The questioners, though, as Jesus continues, become the question. The priests and the scribes cannot answer because, well, it's not even that they cannot answer. They will not answer out of fear. You hear this in verse 26 where it says, if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. But, but if we say, and if you jump back to verse 25, that if they say from heaven that he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? You see, they're, they're analyzing that it doesn't matter what we say, we're, we're in trouble either way. There's not a quote-unquote right answer for us because either way makes us look bad. And so what they start to do is manipulate the truth for, them, for their own personal gain, and they simply say, we don't know. We don't know the answer. They do know the answer, but they realize that if they answer the question, that uh, they, that there's a possibility that they will have to arrest Jesus. They, so they refuse to answer the question because they are afraid, afraid to answer and afraid to arrest Jesus. And thus they choose this path of non-commitment, of non-answer, of what they view no action. But as we all have heard before, non-action is, is in fact an action. Choosing to do nothing is still a choice. And ironically, this non-commitment on their behalf betrays their commitment. To not answer displays non, not genuine ignorance, but it, it portrays a deliberate resistance. And Jesus, by calling them to answer the question and their refusal to do so, has exposed and discredited the whole religious leadership because somebody that was in a leadership role would know the answer to Jesus's question. And you see, the leaders do know the answer, but they're not willing to speak it. Because why? Because it, it gives up some of their power. It gives up some of their clout. It gives up, it's going to hurt their ego. It's going to hurt their status if they're honest with what is truly going on. So instead, they manipulate the truth in hopes that no one will catch it. My, oh, my. Jesus has now exposed them and has now cast a judgment on them and their temple, which is inevitable. which uh, takes me back and makes me want to ask the question to set to myself or to you, the listener, what do we do when we know God's will, but it conflicts with, conflicts with our worldly desires? What do we do 
when we know the answers to hard truth, but if we live into those truths, then, then it will affect our income, our status, or where we find ourselves. It'll, it'll affect how we are viewed in society. What do we do then? And I think for many of us, myself included at times, we find ourselves manipulating the truth, saying, I don't know even. When we know the truth, but we're just not willing to own it. We're not willing to state it because of how it will reflect upon us. What do we do when Jesus' teachings don't align with our wants and our desires for our society? We act like those teachings don't exist. We, we, if we could, um, our Bibles would have a lot of whiteout in them, and we would look at the things that say what we want Jesus to say. Those things that promote who we are. But we, would, but we would cast off those things that say, love your enemy. We would cast off those things that say, don't judge. We would cast off those things that say, invite those that have been marginalized and pressed out by society in. Those things that say, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit the imprisoned and the sick. Care for those in need. And the reason I can be honest about saying that we, this is what we would proclaim is because if you look at our society as a whole, this is what we proclaim through our actions, through our deeds, through the ways in which we live our lives. But Jesus is showing a way of obedience and forgiveness, even unto death on the cross. And not because Jesus had to, but because he chose to in order to show the way of true forgiveness and nonviolent love, even for one's enemies. To be Christ-like is to impersonate Christ, is to have an extroverted view of creation, church, and self. And this idea of having an extroverted view does not mean that we ignore or deny our own needs. But it means that we acknowledge that our needs cannot be met without being, meeting the needs of the greater community, that our needs are fully met within the greater community, that we cannot be unless, that I cannot be, rather, unless we are. We must humble ourselves and empty ourselves because we know that we cannot succeed unless all succeed. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. said in his letter from a Birmingham jail, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you cannot be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. What Dr. King was saying is that it, if I cannot be who I fully am called to be until everyone is who they are fully called to be, which is the beloved in God's creation, which is created in the image of Christ, which means given dignity and love and mercy and grace. And then I stop and I think for a minute of how Dr. King's words would have been heard in his day. 
You see, so often we glorify Dr. King now because of his teachings. But in his day, he was viewed as a rebel and as those people and, and, and was oppressed to the point of being murdered because his agenda, his hope, his, if you will, dream flew in the face of society, of the norms, of what was accepted. And so people pushed back and oppressed and beat him and mocked him. And today, how do we react when people come with an agenda, with a promotion, with something that is against our societal norms? Are we even willing to hear it or do we automatically revert to beating, pushing back, marginalizing those people? And I wish that I could say that this is not the case, but so often we see it to be the truth. And, 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 and I wish that I could say that so often that the church is on the front lines, pushing forward, pressing onward to this idea of equality. But so often we find that how easy it is for church work degenerate into little more than maintaining institutions with no excitement concerning what God's active grace is doing. And consequently, we have no enthusiasm for evangelism and renewal. We have, but we ha what we have to do is we have to allow God to work in and through us. Limiting and humbling ourselves allows God to work through us and others in ways that we cannot even imagine. Are we willing to humble ourselves to the truth that is Jesus Christ? God is at work in you. And I mean that is the you in the you plural. God is at work in the community. My challenge to you this day is to take risk, to be bold in love, to be extravagant in forgiveness, and to take great leaps of faith in and for one another. Amen and amen.